Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Murata Tesh of The Athletic joins us from Las Vegas, where we talk hockey because, duh, the Vegas Golden Knights and Winnipeg Jets are playing in the playoffs. Also, Simon Hildebrandt, Winnipeg's own of the Manitoba Bisons, taken with the first overall pick of the youth sports CEBL draft by the Winnipeg Sea Bears. He'll tell us all about it on the podcast. Time to go back to Vegas and talk more about the Winnipeg Jets. We welcome on friend of the show, Murata Tesh of The Athletic, who is in Sin City covering the series. And Murat, first of all, your overall thoughts on uh, what we witnessed last night. Well, the big story started with Nikolai Ehlers' absence from the lineup. Then Vegas gets Mark Stone back into theirs. And certainly he'd been gone for a while. But the difference between Vegas with Mark Stone and without, they're a wagon with him in and healthy. And so all of a sudden, heading into that game, puck drop approaches there's this thought in the building, wait a second, is Winnipeg in a whole boatload of trouble here? Um, I thought they showed a little bit of nerves early, but by a few minutes into that first period, they were doing a lot of the little things right. They were breaking out cleanly against Vegas' forecheck. They were chipping when they needed to. They were winning their battles. And I think one of the really important underlooked things, because there were a lot of big storylines last night, but Winnipeg's forwards were tracking back through most of that game with just a dedication and a determination that you don't always see. I think Mason Appleton was uh, one of the front runners in that regard. And they were just getting back so fast and so hard, Vegas couldn't get anything going through the neutral zone for a little while. And I think that was important. The goal scoring, obviously, was was a high note for the top line, getting two goals in 62 seconds to really set the tone in the second period. And I wondered after that first period, when you have that that great start, but you don't score, are you going to regret not scoring, or is this just a sign of things to come? And it turned out to be the latter last night for Winnipeg. But how important was that opening first period where they just they came out and played that dictating style of hockey and never really looked back? Well, the story was that Winnipeg had yet to play a pretty good game against Vegas. You know, Rick Bowen and I were joking about it a couple of times that, you know, Bowen has missed a couple of games there to to start the season with COVID. Those were in Vegas. And then there was one against Vegas he got to the coach in. But Winnipeg at no point brought their A game for 60 minutes against the Golden Knights. So to get out of the first period, being able to play their game, to do things the way that they wanted to play and not sit back and wait for Vegas to pressure them all the time, I think that was meaningful. But still, that Kyle Connor goal to break the scoring open and then Pierre-Luc Dubois following up his tremendous pass by scoring 62 seconds later, that was the game-breaking moment for me. Uh, They needed to play well. They proved to themselves that they could, but they needed those goals to take over the game. Momentum was going the other way. Kind of a reminder of why Pierre-Luc Dubois is a third overall pick and the the potential that teams see in him as a top-line center, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Nate Schmidt was telling us a couple uh, of days ago that, you know, there are a few people built for the playoffs, like, Luke Dubois is and he had seen Dubois start to take games over down the stretch the last week or two he was saying but this was another level altogether it reminds me of the lore where Pierre-Luc Dubois dominated Toronto I think there was a hat trick in one game he was a point per game player in the playoffs Columbus beat the Maple Leafs then gave Tampa Bay a good run for their money in 2020 and in Winnipeg we've been waiting okay well when's his arrival when's his coming out party as this dominant 200-foot force. Uh, His first playoff run was just seven games, three assists. Last night, not only does he score a goal and an assist, he's physically dominant. He outmuscles Jack Eichel, setting up Kyle Connor for the goal. There are multiple plays in which 
Um, he just can't be handled by the Vegas Golden Knights defense. And he could have had more than those two points as well. So, you know, in a series that's going to come down to, I mean, goaltending on one hand, but center battles with him, Jack Eichel, William Carlson, all down the line, Dubois struck first, and the level he's at is a tremendous sign for Winnipeg. I didn't think Mark Stone looked all that great last night in terms of just his uh, looking healthy and ready. He, it, it seemed like he could have benefited a lot from a couple weeks of regular season games that he couldn't play either because he wasn't healthy enough or more likely because they didn't have the cap space to play him. But how important is it to this team that he and Jack Eichel, who I thought was pretty invisible last night, uh, pick up the pace and, and really become big contributors for this team? Oh, it's absolutely massive. Um, you know, Stone told reporters in Vegas that he felt like a guy who hadn't played in three months. And I believe it too, Christian. I saw it the same way that you did. He had one good hit on Mark Scheifele early on in the game, but mostly Mark Stone was ineffective. And that's one of the things that has almost never been said about Mark Stone. The difference between the Vegas Golden Knights with him in the lineup, he's up there with Jack Eichel, and those two are the guys that stir everything they get everything going for them whether it's on the floor check whether it's offensively uh, Vegas is a top 10 team by all the important metrics expected goals high danger chances um, at both ends of the rink when Stone's playing and healthy they're bottom half of the league when he's not and maybe that's a little bit of what we saw last night in that Stone isn't ready to go yet and he's not dominating games the way that he typically does with his you know good stick active floor check wins all of his battles and if Jack Eichel's getting out-muscled by Pierre-Luc Dubois, well, then Winnipeg stars are taking over the series. It's just one game, but that's the start Winnipeg wanted and Vegas would have been afraid of given of all the health problems they've had heading down into the series. Before we look ahead to Game 2, we, one other note we have to touch on from Game 1 is the face of Morgan Barron because playoff hockey is all about warrior stories and people playing hurt, but I'm not good with blood. I'm pretty squeamish, but that was uh, quite the cut he took, and I don't think he. I think he would have come back even a regular season game because that's just how hockey players are wired. But do you think there's legitimacy to the idea that that was a motivator for his team? I do, and I don't just think it's because he came back, but I think it's because he came back and he was his best self. Right? Like we've seen hockey players. Josh Morrissey had stitches not too long ago on the inside and outside of his mouth. We know that they do this. They're a different breed of athlete, it seems like. And, you know, when he was opened up by that skate blade and, you know, the first thing he told us he thought about was, okay, um, I, I can see. So he felt all right about that. He was checking to make see if, if Winnipeg got the puck into the net. That was his first focus. Even before receiving 75-plus stitches, he made sure to text his girlfriend and his parents to let them know that he was okay. So, like, talk about a mindset. When he comes back onto the ice with the cage and he's all stitched up and he's got the bandage trying to cover the stitches and stop the blood from coming out, he goes and he makes a hit. And then on the penalty kill, he's intercepting passes, putting his body in lanes, stopping zone entry attempts, getting clears, and doing all the little things that help a team win a hockey game. So for me, he comes back and he's a tremendous version of himself, absolutely 100% in that dressing room. Guys were fired up that he did what he did. What did we learn at practice today? Nikolai Ehlers, day-to-day. You ask it in a different way, Nikolai Ehlers is day-to-day. Still <laughs> onward. <laughs> he looks pretty good out there, i got to say. He's, he's moving well. Now, of course, the hit that he took from Ryan Hartman was up high, so 
you know, we wonder, if, is there a shoulder issue? Is there something kind of upper body? We know it's not a concussion. So, you know, maybe the fact that he's flying around makes sense. His lower body is unimpacted by, by this. He's moving quite quickly. Um, so officially he's day-to-day. Rick Bonus left the door open last night that maybe he plays in game two. At the same time, one thing is that despite being a full participant in the drills, Ehlers didn't take power play rotations when the Jets practiced that. So is that a sign that he doesn't play tomorrow? I'm not sure. Rick Bonus says he's day-to-day. The old playoff coyness of head coaches who will never tell anybody anything when it comes to injuries, of course. We know that by now. Uh, Looking ahead to tomorrow and and comparing it to last night, what's the biggest area that the Golden Knights need to address if they want to even this series as far as you're concerned? Well, Bruce Cassidy laid it out pretty clearly. And, uh, you know, my colleague Jesse Granger, who covers the Golden Knights for The Athletic, wrote it out. Vegas was upset that Winnipeg controlled the middle of the ice and not just in the offensive or defensive zone, but the neutral zone where it used to be when Vegas was forechecking really effectively. And maybe that's what they need. Mark Stone at his best and most elite and healthy for they're knocking down pucks. They're stopping breakouts. They're clogging up the middle of the ice. Teams can't get into the zone to start attacking against them. And then once they get there, they're not able to get to the middle Vegas was frustrated that Winnipeg controlled that important stretch of ice, you know, between the blue lines and was able to get to those high danger areas after that as well. So the question is, what can Vegas do? Um, You know, there could be tweaks to the, to the forecheck in terms of how aggressive or passive it is. There could be a sense that, well, Hey, they're trying to get Eichel and and stone and, and whatnot to play through and find their games again. I just think that one way or another, the the biggest difference is going to be a level of desperation. If they took Winnipeg lightly, they just can't anymore. Their backs are up against the wall a little bit early in this series. How much pressure is on Laurent Brassois to be better tomorrow? Oh, so much. You know, I thought he was good. I thought he was good, especially in that first period. He did make some tough saves, but then Kyle Connor picked his spot like he knew what he was doing. Pierre-Luc Dubois did the same thing. And then by the end of that game, I thought that the waiver saw was moving. You know, he was going post to coast, post to post, pardon me, and he was ending up kind of outside of his crease and giving up ice and things like that. I think it was an enormous game stakes-wise for him. He didn't like being on the losing end of it. He got the day off today in Vegas, but I think he's going to be the starter again. And, yeah, it's absolutely going to be a pressure-filled moment for him to prove to Vegas that he can do in the playoffs what he did in the regular season for them. Do you think having practiced against Persuade a bunch gave the Jets a leg up in terms of knowing where to shoot? I do, and I don't know exactly the ins and outs of that, but we asked Kyle Connor a little bit about that last night because you know he's such a tremendous offensive player. His shot was an absolute snipe to open the series scoring, and he said, well, hey, we know some things, but you know I wouldn't tell you. So... You know, I think that Winnipeg, after having practiced with him for so long, you know, whether it's borne out by science or not, certainly it's borne out by gut feeling. And if you look at the goals that Winnipeg scored, they were certainly shooting with confidence. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Connor Hellebuck's going to be busier tomorrow night than he was last night. Two shots in the third period is just an incredible uh, performance by the Winnipeg Jets defensively. Wasn't really tested at a couple saves early on that, that really helped them stay 0-0, but otherwise he wasn't... He wasn't really doing a whole lot last night. Are you on the same page as me that we're th- we're looking at maybe 30-plus shots tomorrow for Vegas? 
I mean, for Vegas' sake, they absolutely need that. I thought Connor Hellebuck was good early. There was just the first three or four minutes of the game where Winnipeg, some of its defensemen, including veterans, all-stars, Josh Morrissey with the giveaway you wouldn't have liked, and all that sort of stuff. There were some counterattack opportunities for Vegas early, but Winnipeg found its game as things went on. And I think Hellebuck making some of those initial saves, there was a, a pad save on Quinton Howden, uh, on Howden, pardon me, that uh, that was a tough one right in the slot. And I think if that goal goes in, you might look at a different emotional tenor of game, even as well as Winnipeg was able to play as things went on. So Hellebuck was important, and his importance is about to rise. It seemed watching on TV like the building was just kind of dead. A very loud building normally, but the Jets took control, and, and except for that little bit at the end of the second period, it seemed like the atmosphere was pretty muted was that was that a good read on me i think you were there <laughs> yeah let me correct myself it wasn't quentin howden it was brett howden yeah. a little bit of a name club pardon me um and in terms of the atmosphere i thought the pregame atmosphere was wonderful it was loud the the rally towels were going they have their pregame with the golden knight on the ice the dragon projection it's really quite the show and the crowd was loud and into it um but those 62 seconds where Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois scored took the absolute life out of the building. It was silent, and Winnipeg, in my mind, had earned it. Where things started to change, though, after Carlson scored to make it 2-1, and then I think it's Mark Scheifele's cross-checking penalty not too long after, Vegas has a power play and an opportunity to come back. And that's when it got as loud as you'd expect a whiteout to be um, or as loud as Vegas had been before the game. Winnipeg gets the kill, and all of a sudden they're in control of the game heading into the third period. I think that was a crucial moment that helped kept, keep things a little bit quieter than you might expect from a, from a home crowd. Vegas power play was really bad. <laughs> I mean, it didn't look crisp, did it? And, you know, Adam Lowry was talking about They were getting booed in game that, one. That's funny. Honestly, I mean, that's a level of intensity. Credit to the fans for feeling the passion. Um but, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a bit early in the series. Maybe maybe just the culture is a little bit different. Um, Winnipeg's power, or sorry, penalty kill, pardon me, was excellent as well. And, you know, I think that Adam Lowry, Morgan Barron upon his return, Mason Appleton, um, you know, there were some players doing some phenomenal things on the PK. And, you know, quietly, the fourth best PK in the NHL this season, I believe, you know, they were a big part of the win as well. I think it ended up finishing seventh by the time it was all said and done, but it was in like the top four, oh, top hey. three most of the year before taking a little dip at the end. All right, quickly before I let you go, what does your gut tell you about what's going to happen tomorrow night? Will it be a 2-0 lead back in Winnipeg, or are we going to have a split? I mean, <laughs> I'm one of those guys that hedges a lot. I'll be honest. You're in Vegas. Place a bet. Sometimes. <laughs> but uh, look, I think that, Vegas is going to be desperate, and I also think Winnipeg is playing something closer to its A game than we've seen from it in ages and can handle the pushback. It's going to be about the start. It's going to be about Vegas being absolutely frantic to begin. And I think that Connor Hellebuck being Connor Hellebuck, Winnipeg should be able to weather that. And I just love the way that they're tracking back. It's a boring play, but Mason Appleton's track back early in the game going from the four check all the way back to his blue line to shut down Vegas in transition. Those are heart plays, hard plays and heart plays 
that Winnipeg doesn't always make, and a lot of its players from top to bottom of the lineup were doing it. I just like that brand of playoff hockey. So I feel good about Winnipeg and the way it's playing right now. And I bet you feel good about uh, an afternoon game in Winnipeg on Saturday with the whiteout. I just can't wait. I just can't wait. I was talking about, you know, the kind of volume you'd expect from a whiteout crowd. It's tough to know what to expect because that volume can be so high. And I just, I, I look forward to Winnipeg getting an opportunity to have a home game with the building full. I mean, I'm really excited for that. I am as well, Murat. Appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this. Have fun in Vegas, and we'll uh, see you at the game on Saturday. Right on, Christian. Thanks so much. The Canadian Elite Basketball League's U-Sports Draft was held today, and with the first overall pick, the expansion Winnipeg Sea Bears stayed local with Manitoba Bison standout Simon Hildebrandt, the reigning National Rookie of the Year in U-Sports Men's Basketball. 20-year-old Winnipegger, a key reason why the Bisons went 18-2 and in the regular season, their best ever record before losing to the Winnipeg Westman in the Canada West semifinals. Hildebrandt averaged 16.8 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 1.3 steals in his first ever U-Sports season. And earlier today, I talked to the graduate of Mennonite Brethren Collegiate Institute, started by asking him where he was when he found out that he was being drafted. Uh, I was actually at school at the University of Manitoba, uh, I was on the floor getting some shots up, and then I saw my phone started buzzing, and yeah, that's how I found out. Was this something that was on your radar that it could happen? Um, I knew that the uh, CBL and U Sports had a partnership, and I knew that like if I had a great season, there was definitely a possibility. But I'm just super grateful for this opportunity and that they believe in me. And now that there's a, a team in Winnipeg, it, it gives you a great opportunity, I'm sure, to do this in your hometown this summer. Yeah, I mean, the culture and basketball culture in Winnipeg is huge, and it's been big for a long time, so I'm glad that it finally gets some recognition. Growing up for you, not really having a pro basketball league in Canada compared to when the CBL came into existence a few years ago, you're still in high school. Did you see that as a, a possible end point for you? Um, honestly, the thought even never really crossed my mind until I started getting into university and start seeing that oh maybe this could be a possibility but yeah growing up in high school it never really even crossed my mind so what happens for you now that you've been picked uh we have training camp and the season's coming up this summer and yeah just keep working hard and hopefully i'm ready for training camp what conversations have you had with people of the sea bears so far uh, I mean, I've spoken to Coach Mike Taylor a few times. Uh, I've spoken to Chad Posthumous, uh, the first signing a little bit, but not not too much contact yet. And did you find out today, or did it, you find out before today and it was just announced today? Uh, I mean, I've had a couple conversations with Coach Taylor, but I, I found out today at the draft, so that was super exciting. Take me back to this past season for you and the, and the Bisons. It's been a little bit now since the season ended. Have you taken time to reflect on, on everything you accomplished in your first year? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I know it's just, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to go to Nationals and didn't get to make it all the way, but it was still an unbelievable season. And I just like all the accomplished and accolades I received were just not possible without any of my coaches or teammates or athletic trainers and anybody like if we don't go 18 and 2 and have a great record then i don't think any of this recognition happens so what were your expectations for yourself going into the season uh i mean i hold myself to a, to a high standard i wanted to have a really good year and 
honestly, I didn't have any like individual goals or anything. I mostly just had like team goals. Like I just, I wanted to be good. I didn't want to be kind of middle of the pack and hopefully we're, Oh, good in three, four years. Like I just wanted to be good now. I think a lot of guys on our team had that similar mentality. Like we all, we all put team first and we showed that when the whole team does that, you can have a really good year. But was 18 and two a surprise or did you expect to win almost every game? Um, honestly, uh, going into going into preseason stuff, I was a little bit, oh, I think we'll be pretty good, but we'll see how it goes. And I was a little bit surprised, you know, maybe looking back at 18-2, and two, but, like, as we started practicing early on and you kind of start to see, like, man, everybody on this team, like, really wants to win and everybody on this team is super committed. And I think, like, the, the work we put in reflects 18-2. and two. Now, that game against the Westmen in the Canada West semifinals was something I'll never forget, just being in the crowd for that. The atmosphere was amazing. The game was back and forth. You end up not getting the W in that one, but that atmosphere, I think that goes back to what you mentioned about the basketball climate in in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. Do you have any positive memories from that night or is it just going to always be a, a loss to you despite how supercharged that atmosphere was? Yeah. I mean, it didn't go the way we wanted it to go, but it's just such a really cool experience just to play in front of that many people and have that many fans cheering you on. And yeah, it didn't go our way, but I mean, we're a really young team and so are the Westmen. So hopefully we have a lot more battles just like that uh, for the next couple of years and we'll, we'll get them back. So they don't all go your way. No, they don't, but that one was uh, definitely a fun one. Did you expect, though, to be able to, to get into Nationals on a, on a wild card, or what? did you really know what would happen after you lost that game? Uh, there was definitely a chance. I mean, we kind of knew it was going to come down to us or Queen's University. Uh, it was kind of a coin flip looking at all the – there's a whole bunch of different things they look at when picking the wild card – so we all got together as a team, and we're hoping for some good news. But, yeah, I mean, we thought we definitely had a chance. But, yeah. Yeah, tough one there. Uh, for you, this experience with the CEBL, how do you think this is going to help you get ready for your second year with the Bisons? I think it's going to be huge. Just being in, like, a pro environment and getting to see a lot of these other pro guys and how they prepare mentally for games and practices and just like how they work and just being able to experience that firsthand hands-on I think will be huge for me coming back and hopefully I can bring that and share that with some of my teammates going into next season and looking at next season is it too early to to start preparing for your your second year with the Bisons or does it really never stop is there an off season for you uh I mean our our break is about two weeks like after after the game, you know, all you want to do is work to next season. Like you don't you don't want it to end, but you know, it's it's a long off season, so it's 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 good to take two weeks off and just keep that fire, keep that fire in you going. And once you get those two weeks off, then it's back and going. So I've been I've been working out and shooting for for about a month and a bit now. So just working and trying to get better and better, and then I think I know a lot of my teammates are doing the same. So. What does a typical day look like for you then? Uh, I'm still in classes, right? Like I classes finished like last week, two weeks, but I've been, we had classes and right now we're still 
scrimmaging twice a week with the Bisons, and I'm lifting weights three times a week and making sure to go get my, my shots up two, three times a week as well. But, yeah, so it's always just trying to get better and always making sure you're doing something at least once a day. What are you studying in school? Uh, I'm in business. What are you hoping to, to do after, other than, of course, play basketball? Um, I haven't haven't thought it out that far. Uh, I'm just I'm a huge sports fanatic, like I'm a huge basketball fan and player. But uh, like I'm a huge every sport you can think of. So I'm hoping that business can help me get a entryway into working in sports through the business side of things. Do you have an NBA team? Is it the Raptors? I'm assuming. Uh, I, I'm a big Raptors fan. You know, cheer for them because of the Canadian team. But I'm also a Charlotte Hornets fan. So oh it's no, a little wrong. <laughs> yeah. Why? Um, I don't know. I always love watching Kemba Walker growing up. So I don't, I don't play like him at all, but yeah, sadly, it's been a rough couple of years. Yeah, he's not there anymore, and the Hornets are, have kind of bottomed out. Maybe they got Victor Wembanyama. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, well, all right, yeah, well, I'll get you. I'll get you out of here on this. Then uh, give me a pick for the uh, the NBA Finals. Who do you think is going to bring it home? Even though we have only seen one or two games from each series so far. Uh, definitely going to be a big bandwagon for the Kings. Uh, we'll see. I mean, they're so fun to watch. Like that, uh, that fan base has been dying for playoffs. So, I'm rooting for the Kings of the West, and I'll say the Celtics of the East. You know, Jason Tatum is really fun to watch. So, now I got to admit, I just crapped all over you for being a Hornets fan. I like the Timberwolves, so I don't really have much of a like to stand on. Just to, to fully admit my my biases here, Simon. Appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and a best of luck with everything. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you all.